0: Hey everyone, welcome to the very first episode of the Anytime Maybe podcast. I'm your host, Joe Buck. So since this is my first episode and my first time doing anything like this, I figured I would take this opportunity to set the stage uh, for future episodes by just talking about myself a little bit, uh, who I am, focusing mostly on my professional career uh, and the details of the show, uh, mostly where the name Anytime Maybe originates from, why I decided, uh, decided to start this podcast, uh, what my goals are with this endeavor. Uh, I have to say, it wasn't until I started listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, some of which were frankly unbearable to listen to, uh, that I had a newfound appreciation and respect for successful radio personalities and their ability to keep their audience entertained. Uh, now, I am self-admittedly not one of those people, and I am a complete novice of this, Uh, But I'm going to try my best uh, to not become the type of podcast host that I absolutely loathe. Uh, So please bear with me through this process. Uh, I'll start off with a little about my professional career, which all really started when I was about 12 or 13 years old. I had to perform some community service, uh, and not because I was a juvenile delinquent. It was a religion thing. Uh, And my neighbor at the time was the captain of our local volunteer ambulance corps. And I found out through him uh, that the agency had a youth group program, which was essentially a mentorship for teenagers and young adults who had an interest in the EMS field and in medicine. Uh, And that's really how it all started. Uh, As you can see by the, uh, the photo, if you're watching the video version of this show, which just screams peak alpha male performance right there. Um, now, I'll spare you all the boring details, uh, but at 16, I became a New York State Certified First Responder. At uh, 18, I became a Certified Emergency Medical Technician. Uh, and after totally bombing my first year of college, uh, I came back home and started working for a commercial EMS service as an EMT. Uh, and I enrolled in paramedic school uh, shortly after. And in 1999, uh, right before my 20th birthday, I graduated from paramedic school, so I made the uh, jump from EMT to paramedic uh, pretty quickly. Uh, once I graduated paramedic school, uh, I worked as a full-time career paramedic in the New York City metro area uh, for a few, uh, few years and quickly realized that it was a, a kind of a dead-end career field. Uh, there was little to no stability and real crappy pay. Uh, and so to keep my options open, I took the NYPD exam uh, in 2003. and six months later, in June 2003, I was hired and started the uh, police academy. Uh, after I graduated the police academy, uh, I was assigned to the 52nd precinct in the Bronx, uh, which kind of covers the north central part of the Bronx, uh, where I spent the first uh, seven years of my career. and I was self-admittedly a, a pretty average cop, wasn't a superstar. Uh, by any means, uh, but, you know, went in and, and did what I had to do. Uh, I started out in a program called Impact, which was where uh, most rookie NYPD police uh, police officers ended up at the time. And when I finished Impact, I went to uh, patrol. Uh, I did a stint in a uh, conditions unit, which focused on street-level quality of life conditions and uh, pretty low-level street narcotics enforcement. Uh, and I finished out my time in the 5-2 in a highway safety unit, which focused on uh, vehicle and traffic enforcement. And uh, it was perfect for me because I can be uh, self-admittedly pretty antisocial and I liked working solo and doing my own thing. Uh, All the while, while I was in the 5-2, I continued to moonlight as a a paramedic once I was off probation and I was allowed to work off duty employment. And I still do that to this day. Um, So to bring it back to my childhood, Again, when I was in the fourth grade, a friend of mine at the time had brought in uh, had brought in this book to school uh, written by Samuel Katz. It's titled uh, NYPD on the streets with the New York City Police Department's uh, Emergency Service Unit, uh, also known as ESU for short. Uh, And I was just amazed and obsessed uh, reading about ESU and the type of work they performed. And so when I joined the NYPD, I really joined with one goal, and that was making it into ESU one day. Uh, In order to apply for ESU, you had to have a minimum of five years with the police department uh, before they would even accept or entertain an application from you. And so July 1st, 2008, the exact day of my fifth anniversary with the department, uh, I submitted my application and uh, waited for the process. Uh, Not long after submitting the application, I got called in to go through our selection process, uh, which at the time included the the typical physical fitness testing. Uh, There was a mechanical aptitude test you had to take, a swim and survival float test, and then an oral interview in front of a selection board made up of ESU members from all ranks. So I was fortunate enough to do well throughout the selection process and meet all of the qualifications, Uh, and as my luck would have it, I had to wait another two years before ESU picked up a class. Uh, But I was fortunate enough to be selected for the 2010 uh, Specialized Training School class, and I spent the remainder of my 13 years uh, with the NYPD in uh, ESU in various capacities. Uh, So for those of you who don't know what ESU is, it's primarily a Northeast law enforcement concept. It's a a multidiscipline unit that handles a wide variety of work, uh, including tactical work, uh, so work that you would normally kind of correlate with a conventional SWAT team that we're familiar with in other parts of the country. Uh, We also did all facets of technical rescue, uh, and that's work that you would normally correlate with the fire service, Uh, and uh, then pretty much everything and anything in between. So uh, in New York City, uh, ESU's unofficial roots uh, go back to the 1920s, uh, and it was officially recognized, uh, or its officially recognized creation date was April 10th, 1930, under General Order Number 10, uh, when the Emergency Services Division was officially named. Uh, and it was designed as a resource for cops who required specialized assistance. Uh, one of ESU's slogans is, when the public needs help, they call the police. And when the police need help, they call ESU. And so our job was to utilize the training we had undergone and the tools and resources that we had available to us and had access to to really help cops, Uh, whether it was, you know, a a hostage barricade uh, or a cop who locked their keys out of their car. You know, our primary goal was to assist and help cops. Uh, I spent my first five years in ESU uh, working in truck three in the Bronx. And then I spent a little under a year delivering some tactics training for two newly formed NYPD units that had been created, uh, the Strategic Response Group and the Critical Response Command, which were basically developed as a quick reaction asset to a terrorist or active shooter event. Uh, And they were our primary support units at a large incident. Uh, Once we finished kind of spinning up those units, uh, I transferred to Truck 1, also known as the Hollywood Truck in Manhattan South, where I spent about four years. um, And then I spent a year at our specialized training school out at Floyd Bennett Field in Brooklyn, where I was working on lesson planning and some course development. And I finished out the last two, two and a half years uh, at our apprehension tactical team, uh, also known as the A-Team, which is a full-time tactical component of ESU that primarily handles the workload of executing uh, search warrants for various units within the department. So uh, overall, I was extremely fortunate to have a great 20-year career uh, working in what I considered to be the best unit in the police department, Uh, but of course, I am a little biased um, with some of the absolutely most talented, uh, gifted, and dedicated people I've had the pleasure of working with. Uh, So what's this show all about? So I think I'll start by telling you what it isn't. Um, This show is not designed to be full of outlandish, chest-thumping war stories, uh, mindlessly kind of moaning and complaining about the job, meaning the NYPD, Uh, gratuitous use of NYPD vernaculars, you're not going to hear that here, Um, or a a blind allegiance to my now former life. Um, I tend to be a critical thinker who has some critical opinions, whether that's a good or bad thing. Uh, I guess we'll find out, but uh, that being said, I truly believe that progress is never made from mindless venting or blind devotion, uh, but instead from examining the issues through a lens of honesty and having an open dialogue about some of the issues uh, we're seeing in law enforcement today. Uh, And because of my background, uh, the focus of this show is going to be on law enforcement, tactics, training, uh, and response to critical incidents. So... How does the name Anytime Maybe fit into the picture here? Uh, Well, it it has ties to the slogan from my now former life, uh, since I just retired on June 30th of this year. Um, ESU had officially or unofficially adopted the Tomcat mascot from the F-14 as its pseudo-official mascot, uh, along with the slogan Anytime Baby. Uh, it's emblazoned on all sorts of ESU swag you'll come across out there, uh, t-shirts, patches, hats, and so on. Uh, it is a testament to the attitude that ESU will always get the job done anytime, anywhere. Uh, it's a bold statement, but it is one that ESU has definitely lived up to over its uh, storied 93-year history. Uh, and I have been fortunate to, Uh, to be witnessed firsthand to some amazing acts of both bravery uh, and ESU problem-solving ingenuity uh, by its members to mitigate and resolve all types of incidents, uh, from the routine, like retrieving a cop's keys after they drop them down a sewer grate, uh, to the more high-profile and dangerous work that the unit performs. Uh, Now, I am sure that some of my former colleagues, when they hear the title of this show— Um, and also knowing my personality, uh, will defensively assert uh, that I am attacking the unit. I'm attacking the memories of those members who have been killed in the line of duty uh, with the name Anytime Maybe, and uh, I just ask you to hear me out. The praise and accolades uh, that have been bestowed upon the unit and its members are very well deserved. Uh, Speaking personally, Uh, I would like to think I was a pretty competent E-man. I had my strengths, but I like to think that overall I was pretty well-rounded. If you spend any amount of reasonable time in the unit, uh, you will be tested in one way or another. And you will have the opportunity to perform some amazing tasks uh, in the line of duty. Uh, Jumper grabs, water rescues, taking armed and dangerous individuals into custody... Uh, it's all done by members of ESU at a frequency that is likely unmatched anywhere else in the world. Uh, But I began to think, especially as I got older, if the slogan, anytime baby, was really accurate. One of the phrases I would hear from guys quite often anytime I brought up the question, if we were really as good as we thought we were was, you know, we do this a thousand times a year, whatever the type of job was. Uh, And this mantra that I've heard time and time again brought me to the question of, is volume of work in itself as a metric indicative of overall competency? For example, As I said, my last two years I spent on the apprehension team and we were executing between four and five hundred search warrants annually. Uh, Just the apprehension team. In fact, four hundred and thirty three to be exact in 2022. Uh, In those four hundred and thirty three search warrants, we never had a police involved shooting with an occupant. Uh, Our use of force incidents were very low in comparison to the volume and type of work that we were tasked with. And our search warrant executions led to the seizure of 317 illegal firearms that were taken out of private residences uh, and and some commercial establishments. But but I think those numbers are pretty impressive. Uh, But of course, as I said before, I am a little biased. Now, it would absolutely be ridiculous to say that competency played absolutely no role whatsoever in these statistics. All right? The A-Team is comprised of a full-time sergeant and seven full-time members uh, with four temporary members from the trucks who come to the A-Team for a three-month rotation where they gain a significant amount of tactical experience uh, in a very short period of time. Uh, the full-timers on the team work together every day, executing three, four, five search warrants a day. Um, So we had a a strong foundation as a team, and when it came to training, the biggest benefit of being on the A-team was that, unlike the trucks, we were very singularly focused on tactics, uh, since that was our primary role within the unit. And so that was the focus of a lot of our training. We really didn't allot significant training time outside of mandated yearly unit refreshers on ropes or water rescue, scuba, or hazardous material operations, because that really wasn't a part of our day-to-day responsibilities. So competency definitely played a big role in our success. But I would also say that it would be just as ridiculous to think that luck never played a part in our success either. Uh, At the end of the day, we are all imperfect humans and especially when you are working in very dynamic, fluid environments, mistakes are going to happen, Uh, some small, some big, and whether it's a foolish mistake on a breach that compromised the team, or a threat area got dropped, or you didn't provide mutual security uh, for your buddy and you let his or her back, maybe get exposed to a danger area, Uh, When the significant mistakes occurred that were for, in my opinion, lack of a better term, inexcusable, um, the only reason we walked away with none of us getting hurt was because there wasn't an individual who was ready and willing to exploit and capitalize on our mistakes. It was luck, plain and simple. There's really no other way to explain it. It was luck. And so, there's really no other way to categorize it. I'm generally a harsh critic. Uh, I I set my personal standards extremely high. I held my teammates to a high standard. I held the unit to a high standard. I I still do today, even though I'm retired. Uh, Yes, I I believe I was tactically proficient. Uh, I believe that I put in the time the repetitions, and the mental focus to perform at a level that one should expect from a member of the NYPD's emergency service unit. Uh, Despite my confidence in my skills, I can honestly say that I've never felt like I was legitimately tested in the tactical environment. Uh, Maybe I was, and I just didn't realize it. Uh, but I would like to think that such an incident would stand out in my memory. Uh, and because I don't feel like I was ever legitimately tested, I often wonder if I was as good as I thought I was. Uh, if my time to be legitimately tested ever did present itself, would it be any time baby or would it be any time maybe? Maybe. So the name Anytime Maybe is as much of a self-assessment as it is an assessment of the job as a whole. And I think that comes with maturity. Uh, Whether it was when I was a young paramedic uh, or a young E-man in the unit, I thought I was a stud in terms of performance and ability. Uh, In fact, I think back now to my young E-man swagger, and honestly... Today, I I cringe thinking about it, Um, but I think that's all part of normal professional progression and growing up, and as you mature with time and experience, you change. Uh, For me, a part of my changing process was to start to question more my perceptions of where we were lacking uh, as a unit, as a department, as a career field altogether, uh, for me, my personal moment of enlightenment kind of happened when I I went and took a five-day CQP class uh, that was given by some former Tier 1 guys uh, from the Army side of the house. And I quickly learned how much I really didn't know at just a basic level of comprehension regarding the principles of CQB. And for me, it was a truly humbling experience uh, that really opened up my eyes to areas where we uh, collectively as a unit were deficient. And so this podcast is really about sharing my thoughts and my experiences, um, especially now that I am retired and have essentially regained my First Amendment right to speak freely without fear of consequence. This show will focus on facts over feelings. Um, Guys and girls in the tactical community, you know, we typically have alpha personalities, and some will never, ever admit making a mistake. Uh, Their team is the best, they're awesome, and so on. They never do anything wrong, whatever it might be. Um, It, you know, going back to my days with the department, it reminds me of some response drills that we participated in as a unit. Um, And no matter how much we screwed up a scenario, uh, we would get the rah-rah ESU speech from the bosses at the end and just kind of be on our way and never admit to ourselves where we were deficient and then put in the work to fix it. Uh, So not here, not on this show. Um, I have the utmost respect for individuals in the tactical community uh, when we can have a conversation and instead of talking about how awesome we are, we talk about all of the things we screwed up because ultimately that's how we learn from our mistakes and that's how we keep history from repeating itself. So besides this podcast being a, a medium for me to stay somewhat involved in the tactical community and ramble on about topics that I'm passionate about, uh, there is purpose behind it. And my hope is that some of what I say resonates with law enforcement officers out there who may eventually listen to the show, um, that serious considerations are given to law enforcement training and policy, that maybe by some chance I can help affect some positive change. And hopefully one day I can get some like-minded people with both shared and opposing views from myself on the other mic here uh, to have some thought-provoking conversations. Uh, My other hope is that anyone from the general public who may be listening will have a better understanding of the realities and challenges faced by law enforcement officers. Uh, The public should expect a well-trained and properly equipped law enforcement officer to arrive at the scene of a critical incident. Uh, We're going to discuss on this show what it takes to make that happen, through very transparent, open, and honest conversations. Lastly, uh, this podcast is a small part of a bigger venture for myself. I'm gonna do a shameless plug here, uh, but when I, when I made the decision to retire, I didn't quite know what I was gonna do with myself. Uh, but I knew I had a passion for teaching and helping others, uh, whether public safety professionals or everyday people. Uh, to be better prepared, to react and respond to critical incidents. I've always been a very big proponent of training. And so I formed the company ATT Concepts, uh, which is a nod to my time on the apprehension tactical team, which honestly was the most enjoyable uh, two and a half years of my career. So, at ATT Concepts, we offer training, consulting, custom solutions, and equipment sales. uh, And you can find us on the web at www.attconcepts.com, as well as on all the social media platforms. Uh, I'm just getting started here. All right. My goal is to hopefully release a weekly episode. uh, And I do have enough topics scribbled down on napkins and post-its and and my phone to carry me for quite a while. Um, So please give the show a like and a follow. Uh, And if you have any questions for me, or if there's topics that you want to hear me kind of ramble on about, uh, please drop us a message. Until next time, stay safe, and thanks for listening.